So if you remember uh, last week, everything was going just fine. I had uh, my sermon schedules all laid out, knew what I was going to be preaching this week and next week and the following week, and everything was good. Had sermon schedules all the way through to July. I w- it was, everything was going great. I was happy. I was, you know, feeling good about everything. I was like, this is good. God's spoken and, and we're done, right? And then, uh, yeah, he disrupts everything last week. Um, so, uh, and this is the way God works sometimes, right? I mean, we are meant to make our plans, but we should always hold those plans loosely, open hands, right? Uh, because he does give us sometimes in advance where we're headed and other times he can change it on a dime, right? At the last second, he just, the, the plan changes. And that's why we as human beings, as his servant, we need to always be open and willing to let him adjust our schedule, to be on his time, not our time, and to be able to hold our schedules in uh, with open hands, recognizing that any moment he can step in and there's going to be a, a divine moment, a divine conversation that needs to happen, or perhaps a, a divine message that needs to be preached. So... As a result, this week we, uh, we're jumping out of Genesis and moving into the Stations of the Cross. Uh, next week we will preach a message on, uh, not on Genesis again, but just on the resurrection of Jesus. Again, I had Genesis all laid out. Genesis next week, I had it. It was going to be a great message for Easter. Anyway, but God knows, he's good. He's got this, right? Uh, anyway, so next week Easter will be just a little bit more uh, different than what I was expecting, but it's going to be good focusing on the resurrection and actually flowing out of the message that we're going to have today. And then uh, the following week we'll see where the Lord leads there. But uh, with that intro, here we go into the Stations of the Cross. So first thing I wanted to do as we approach this, this ob- observance that has been around for a couple of thousand years is to give just a brief history. Uh, if you are an evangelical, if you're a Protestant Christian, if you've never been in a Catholic church or never been in a Lutheran church, then maybe you've never even heard of the Stations of the Cross. Certainly there are some, I'm sure, in this room and in our church that have not had not heard of the Stations of the Cross until I began to talk about them a couple of weeks. Ago, but uh, so I wanted to make sure we understand the history of where this came from, and so uh, you know, really, it's kind of started pretty close after Jesus's death and resurrection. That Christians, including they, that you know, tradition says even Mary, Jesus's mother, began to go back to this place and this and to walk this path from Pilate's, uh, where Pilate was there and condemned Jesus, so Pilate's house to the place of Jesus's burial, the tomb of his burial, and began to just uh, walk that path again and again as a way of remembering what their Savior had done for them. And so uh, this started early on. Uh, from this, we have a couple of Latin words that uh, we hear, and we're actually going to sing a little bit later on, uh, via crucis, which means the way of the cross. So that is another way to describe or talk about or give a title to the Stations of the Cross. So it's the way of the cross. The other is Via Della Rosa, which is the way of suffering or of grief. And so, again, uh, not surprising, the, 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 the road that Jesus walked this, uh, you know, maybe six or eight hours or so of time that he walked uh, was certainly a way of suffering. 
So after, uh, after the initial kind of development of this in the 4th century, uh, when, when Christianity became legalized, became the state religion in Rome, then, in the Roman Empire, then it began to get a little bit more kind of in, ingrained in churches, and, and as they began to observe this on a yearly basis. Uh, they, uh, so there was an increased frequency and, and importance of uh, practicing the Stations of the Cross. But it wasn't really until the 17th and 18th century when this really got solidified, especially in the Catholic Church. Uh, it is in the 17th century when uh, the Pope's, uh, I don't remember which Pope it was, I should have looked up his name, or I did look up his name, but I don't remember what it is now. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, one of the Popes said that, you know, we need to have the station, every Catholic Church should have uh, the Stations of the Cross uh, uh, displayed in their church building or on their church grounds all year round. And so today, if you go into, you know, a traditional Catholic church, if you, you look around, you will find the Stations of the Cross somewhere on campus uh, at that Catholic church. And so that's a little bit of the history of it. But again, it's not been normally practiced as a Protestant uh, observance. And part of the reason it wasn't, it was rejected by, in the Reformation as, uh, as something to observe because of the indulgences that were attached to it. So in other words, the church was kind of like, hey, you know, you go and do this and, and you're going to be good with God kind of thing, right? And so the, the Reformation was like, you know, it, nah, this is not how this works. Uh, and so they kind of, you know, rejected this for the most part. However, in later years, as time continues to go on, and especially over the last probably 50 years, the Stations of the Crosses continue to become more and more popular in evangelical churches and Protestant churches throughout the world. A couple of cautions that we need to keep in mind when observing the stations, and in some sense, we need to be careful with this in all of our observances of Christmas uh, and uh, of Easter and any other Christian holiday. And first of all is that we need to make sure that our observances are based on Scripture not just on traditions. Traditions, you know, are okay, and they're, they're good things. They're not, you know, necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but traditions can become something more than what they are, and then they become truth instead of what is actually the truth, and they get confused. And so we have to be careful that we uh, recognize that we are observing what is scriptural and true, not what is just traditional commentary. Now, with the Station of the Cross, the, the Catholic Church observes 14 stations, there are literally, well, there are actually five different of those stations that are not in the Bible. Uh, so there's five of them that, that they're not in Scripture that you won't find. And so they're based on Scripture, uh, basically uh, commentary, if you will, or different traditions. There's three falls of Jesus. So Jesus falls three times. If you read all of the different gospel accounts, there's, Jesus doesn't fall anywhere. You don't see that. He doesn't say that Jesus falls falls down. There are, there's, a, there's this uh, encounter with a woman named Veronica who wipes Jesus' face uh, of the blood and the sweat. Uh, Veronica does not exist in Scripture either. And so again, these are Catholic uh, kind of traditions and perspectives. And then finally, uh, Jesus meets uh, Mary on this journey as well, his mother. And there's this conversation between uh, Mary and Jesus. Again, that is not in Scripture. And so, uh, so there's five that are not in, uh, in the Bible, and so most Protestant churches, most evangelical churches will leave those five out and will focus on the other ones that are in Scripture. Sometimes they'll add other ones that are in Scripture, 
because there's things that are a part of that last 24 hours of Jesus's life that are not included in the stations. We'll get to what those are here in a moment, but right now we're just focusing on the ones that aren't. Uh, in regards to what we're going to be going through today and on Friday, I am including one fall of Jesus in this, in our observance uh, of, of, uh, of the stations. And the reason is because even though it doesn't clearly say in Scripture that Jesus did fall, there is, I think, ample evidence and at least enough evidence to suggest that he probably did fall at least once because we have this guy named Simon of Cyrene who has given the cross for Jesus to bear to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the hill, right? And so there's a sense that probably what's going on there is Jesus is struggling because of the abuse that his body has taken uh, and he, he's struggling to carry his cross and so he probably had fallen and so we're going to observe one of those falls we're not going to observe the other two we are not going to observe one that isn't in in the bible and that is when jesus in the book of luke it talks about jesus pausing while he's walking to the cross and having a conversation with women uh, of the church basically uh, and and has this brief conversation we're not going to include that and so that you know just basically you know i this kind of what i decided to include and not include partly trying to again be truthful of what scripture teaches, but also partly because, you know, just a practical thing of time. Uh, if we had 14 stations of the cross and we took five minutes at each station, that's like an hour and a half of time to just to go through uh, those, those uh, stations. And so trying to just cut down that time a little bit, make it a little bit more manageable for us all. Um, and so now if we have nine stations, which we'll be observing, those nine stations will allow us to get through uh, in about uh, 50 minutes or so, 50, 55 minutes. All right, a couple other cautions. Recognize uh, we are creating, my wife and Adrienne have created these amazing uh, displays uh, that will be imagery for us to, re to, to, to observe at each of these stations. But we have to recognize that these are symbolic, okay, and they're not to be worshipped. You know, this is one of the challenges, I think, in the Catholic Church, uh, that they, they, uh, they have a problem with symbols that they, they elevate to the, to the status of worship. And we need to be careful that we are not seeing these, these images that we have before us in each of these stations as uh, things to be worshipped. The images themselves are not to be worshipped. This is not Jesus. This is just an image of it. It's a symbolic of what Jesus endured. Uh, matter of fact, what we are, have created is actually very, it's more of a silhouette than actually something that's very detailed. And again, the, the idea, part of the idea behind that is to make it so that we're not like trying to see this as real life in a sense. Even though Jesus did walk this road and did endure these things, what is before us is just symbols of what Jesus endured. And so we need to keep that in mind. And then finally, I think the big, the big caution here too is to recognize that our observance of the stations of the cross is about greater awareness of God greater awareness of what Jesus has done for us, not greater attention from God. We, we, we do this, I mean, this is not just a Catholic thing, this is a Christian thing, this is for uh, all of us. I think we struggle sometimes with thinking that the dis disciplines, the spiritual or religious things that we do for God, that that gets us extra attention. They're like, oh, wow, boy, you're doing these, you're praying so nice. That's, you did such a great job. So now God's going to pay more attention to you. So we see these things in an incorrect light, right? So we need to recognize as well the stations. This is not about getting God's attention. We already have God's attention. 
He is constantly aware of us and what we are doing and where we are going and all of that stuff, whether we're worshiping him or not, whether we're saying, he always is aware of us. We are the ones that struggle with awareness. We're the ones that struggle with keeping our minds on him. And so as we observe this week, the whole point is really to, to keep our, to, to increase our awareness of what Jesus has suffered for us. And that leads us to the purposes of the stations for us today. And I have a few passages that go along with this that, uh, uh, actually I'll read at least one of those um, and quote the other ones. So first of all, the purpose of the stations, why we are going to observe the stations this year on Good Friday, is that first of all, we need to remember, it's going to help us to remember the love and faithfulness of Jesus. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we get our mind around Jesus walking the Via Della Rosa and what he was suffering from those who he was going to die for, And so for us to recognize his faithfulness to us, even though humanity is the one who is inflicting the pain, humanity is the one who takes his life, he died for us. He died for humanity. Second, the purpose of the stations and for us observing it is a reflection. It's an opportunity to reflect on the suffering of Christ. And I want to read Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The purpose of us reflecting on the suffering of Jesus is to recognize that we are being called to suffer with him. That we are to walk the Via Della Rosa as well. That it's not just something that Jesus did for us, but when we surrender our life to him, we then walk with him on this path. And then finally, the reason is to, re, uh, to, re, to recommit our life, re- recommitment to surrender and follow Jesus. Romans 12:1. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, we'll remember what He's done for us. Then we offer our bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing, all right? All right. So now I want to spend uh, pretty much the rest of our, my message uh, over the next uh, 15 minutes here just going through the stations of the cross. And, and uh, let me warn you a little bit. I'm not going to get graphic this morning, but um, I, I know this is going to be challenging to preach. This is going to be challenging to hear. But we need to hear it. We need to remember. We need to reflect. We need to recommit. We can't forget these key pieces. You know, again, so many of us, I, I think in our, in our Christianity, we, we launch forward to Easter and we skip 
Holy Week. We skip, you know, maybe, we, maybe we're there for Palm Sunday, but we certainly skip Good Friday. We spend no time reflecting on what Jesus has done and the suffering that he endured, and this is not right. We as Christians must stop and pause. And so that's what this is about. So the stations of the cross that we will be, re, we, we will be uh, going into much more detail in, in essence in, in our reflection on Good Friday. Today we're just going to do a, just a little summary of each of these points just to kind of drive home what the, the point is and then uh, move on. But um, uh, let's, let's, the first station is that Jesus is condemned to die. In Matthew chapter 27, this is a chapter I'd encourage you to maybe read this week. Um, maybe even just take every day uh, and just read through the entire chapter of Matthew 27. It just kind of highlights this Via Della Rosa that Jesus walks. Um, uh, it, it, would, it would just be good for you just reminding you. Uh, maybe even go into Luke 23 and read there because it's again, it's, it's that. Uh, and Mark 15, I believe it is, has this as well. So uh, anyway, read through these chapters in the Gospels. Uh, I think it would be really encouraging for you to just help to remember so condemned to die. So again, if you remember in this piece of the story, he, Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. So Pilate's the governor of the, of the land. He's there to kind of determine you know, the fate because the Jews can't just kill Jesus on their own. They're under Roman rule, and so if they're, you know, a corporal punishment has to come through the government, right? They can't do it on their own. And so they present Jesus to Pontius to, to condemn him to die. And of course, Pontius is recognizing in the midst of this, like, this guy is innocent. He, he, he's not done anything wrong, right? He, he's not at least not done anything that deserves death. And so he tries to kind of maneuver things, and he offers, hey, what about, you know, this Barabbas guy or whatnot? And the, and the, and the people... And along with the religious leaders rise up, of course, and they chant over and over and over again. When, when Pilate asks the question, so what do you want me to do with this Jesus? They say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Oftentimes, we, uh, 2,000 years removed from this story, thinking that, you know, we weren't there. And so oftentimes, we can maybe mistakenly think that we wouldn't have done what the crowd did. That we, if we were there, we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have been chanting, crucify him. If we were there, we wouldn't have been like those religious leaders and, and, and being jealous of him and all that kind of stuff. If we were there, and if I was Pontius Pilate, there's no way I wouldn't have sent him. But no, we need to remember that it is our sin that put him on the cross. Not Pilate, not the religious leaders, not the mob. In essence, every one of our sins that we commit is us shouting along with the mob, crucify him. Next, we see Jesus carrying his cross. He's carrying his cross, but we, we, we can sometimes just focus in on just the physical trauma that he's feeling. You know, he's been, he's been whipped, right? And his back is just shredded. He's got this crown of thorns, so his, his head's been pierced. He's, he's got bleeding all over. He's wiped out. He's been up all night, hasn't been able to sleep. But more than that, he's also being mocked. People are, I mean, can you imagine the entire crowd, everyone is, is, is basically saying, you are not who you say you are. 
oh, king of the Jews, yeah, okay. And they put this mocking robe on him, purple robe on him. They put this mocking crown of thorns on him. They spit on him. They're calling out to him just all kinds of things. So it's not just a physical attack on his body, but there's a psychological attack. There's an emotional attack in the sense that he has lost all of his friends. He is alone. He is walking this journey by himself. His disciples have all scattered. Uh, He has no one there for him. So the, the pain and the suffering that he is enduring is not just physical. It is physical, but it's also emotional, also psychological. And we sometimes want to kind of clean up the scene. We want to clean up the cross. But for us to do that, For us to ignore the emotional and psychological and physical pain that Jesus endured, for us to try to clean that up and make it less than what it actually is, is actually an attempt to lessen the impact of our sin. Sin is ugly, it's messy, it's destructive, it destroys. Part of us stepping in to the devastation of the cross is recognizing the weight of sin, the impact of our sin. We too often take our sin for granted or too lightly, think that it's not a big deal. But the price paid was steep. Next, we see Jesus stumble and fall under the weight of the sin, under the weight of what he's endured. Struggling to get up. Can you imagine for a moment the guards when he stumbles, yelling at him, Whips probably cracking either on him or just above him, warning him to get up and keep going. Can you imagine Jesus and the, and the pain and the struggle? His body is totally done. Probably bled too much blood, which started the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he's praying to his father, if this cup can be taken from me, is there another way? Under the tremendous strain and stress, recognizing that he is going to the cross and what it's going to be like and how difficult that's going to be. So his body is here on his knees in the dirt. But what people don't recognize is that within Jesus, there's a power. A power that's greater than any of them possess. The power to form universe, to form planets, the power to contain the heat of the sun, the power to create, the power to annihilate every one of his enemies in a moment. And yet, Jesus chooses to suffer as a human being. He doesn't tap into his divinity Can you imagine maybe the temptation that there would be? 
what am I doing this for? Why is these people, oh, they're so horrible. They're so evil. I'm in so much pain. But no, Jesus chooses to accept it all as a human. Next, we have Simon of Cyrene. A man who was probably on his way home from, from work and out in the fields, probably had very little to know, knowing what was going on even in the city that day. And then he got, got caught up in the crowd. And then all of a sudden, this man on his way to the skull, right, on his way to Golgotha, on his way to die, falls in front of him. And probably a bit of a shock to him because most who have been crucified don't go through this kind of punishment before they get crucified. Cross is enough. But here's this man who has lost all his power, all his strength, and is walking his way, this this condemned man to die. And he falls before him, and then out of the blue, Simon is grabbed and forced into service for Jesus, our king. I can imagine there, but maybe in his mind, a question of, okay, do I, do I, what do I do here? Do I, I mean, maybe I should just run. I don't want to carry this guy's cross. Maybe I just get out of here. But he's looking around, recognizing that's probably going to be a failed, you know, attempt because they're going to catch me. And then he is, his life will be on the line. So he reaches down and helps Jesus with the cross. But Jesus, but this, this Simon actually points to a decision that each of us have to make. Because the, the reality about Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection is that he forces us to make a decision. Are we going to run from him and follow the way of the world? Or are we going to pick up our cross and follow him? Next, we see Jesus on the hill, and the soldiers strip the clothes away from him and divide them among the soldiers. Jesus is continually shamed now, totally naked, mocked. But as they've torn away all of his earthly possessions, the only thing they find, the look that's in his eye, is love. Not hatred, not sin, not regret, not revenge. As we reflect on Jesus being stripped naked, We're reminded of the reality that we too must allow our sin to be exposed. Thankfully, most of the time that sin doesn't have to be exposed publicly. We all are sinners and we need the Spirit to review us, to search us, to point out those wicked ways in us and that we would then repent. We reflect here on the sin, our own sinfulness and the need to repent. Next, Jesus is nailed to the cross. Jesus' hands and feet are nailed 
to the cross. Jesus' perfect body was destroyed so that our corrupted bodies can be perfected. The question that comes to us when we reflect on Jesus nailed on the cross is, do we accept His sacrifice? Many of us struggle with this. We as Americans especially, we never want to be needy, right? We never want to have to rely on someone else. You know, we're independent. We can do it. I can do it myself. I don't need somebody else. I can do it. But when confronted with with Jesus nailed to the cross, we have to ask the question, are we going to or have we accepted his sacrifice? He's 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 not hanging on this cross because of his sin. He's hanging on the cross because of our sin. And so are we able to, at the foot of the cross, actually say, yes, Jesus died for me? I needed it. I couldn't have done it without him. I was finished. I'm so deeply corrupted that I have no hope but to rely on this man and his sacrifice. Next, we see Jesus die. Somewhat dramatic fashion as the story is told, as the soldier plunges the sword into his side and blood and water flow. Of course, this highlights Jesus' blood, which of course washes away the sin of any who willingly accept his loving sacrifice. It is this washing away of sin that opens up the door for us to be able to have this reconciled relationship with our Father. It is that washing away of sin that purifies us and makes it so that we can enter into the presence of God the Father. And so in reflection on the poured out blood of Jesus, which cleanses, we have to ask the question, are we clean? Have we recognized our sin and repented? Have we recognized that his sacrifice was for us? Have we accepted that sacrifice and received the cleansing work of his blood? Next His body is taken down from the cross. As we've already highlighted, Jesus willingly suffered and died. No one forced him to do it. Again, at any moment, he could have stepped out. At any moment, he could have said, that's enough. At any moment, he could have finished the whole ordeal. But Jesus willingly gave his life, again, dying for humanity while humanity is the one who is inflicting the pain and the suffering and the death on him. And so as we reflect on the body of Jesus, we reflect on our free choice to willingly surrender our life 
and gratitude to him. In other words, are we willing to give up? Are we willing to give our life in worship of Jesus? He gave his life literally, physically, emotionally, psychology, psychologically. We are just offered to give our life in service to him. Finally, Jesus' body is buried. A man named Joseph Arimathea buries Jesus' body. Recognizing again that Jesus died so that we don't have to, but in order to follow him, our sinful nature has to die. Our sinful nature has to be buried. And so at this station, we reflect on what are the worldly passions or desires that we need to bury. What are the pleasures of this world that we are continuing to cling to? You see, the life in following Jesus is a life of letting go of the things of this world, the things that we, you know, kind of are striving for and this world strives for. So we have to bury those things. We have to put them away. We have to let them die and then choose, instead choose to follow Jesus wherever he leads. So again, on Friday, we will go through each of these crosses, or each of these stations, and we'll start with some scripture that we'll read, and then we'll go into a reflection, kind of meditation, and then finally there'll be a prayer, and then you'll move to the next station. But in preparation this week, as you prepare your hearts, and as we spend our time on Friday and on Saturday, potentially, uh, and do, you know, kind of just sitting in this for a bit. I just want to encourage us. The stations end with Jesus in the tomb. Now, some churches have begun to add a 15th station of Jesus' resurrection, which is, I think, appropriate at some level. But I think we have to, again, caution, I want to caution all of us from jumping to Easter too soon. Jesus was in the tomb for three days, right? And so we have to allow ourselves, in essence, to be in the tomb with him for a few days. See, we, we always want to jump too quickly to Sunday, but we, we avoid the sense of despair and the sense of sorrow that Jesus is dead. Imagine yourself in the disciples' shoes. Imagine yourself in Mary's shoes. Allowing such tension actually deepens our appreciation for the disciples and for Mary, but also for Jesus. And it increases our joy when it comes to Easter. See, this is, maybe this is the anticipation. Maybe this is the excitement that God is giving me. 
that because we're going to spend this week reflecting and in kind of just wallowing, if you will, in Jesus's death for, for a while, that, that I know that Easter is going to be that much better, or I'm just craving coffee so much that I can't wait till I get there. <laughs> But I think there's just something we, and again, our culture, we, we just go past these things too quickly. Let's sit in it, sit in the tension for a little while. And so as we close our service with worship, in song and in communion, the whole part is just, we want to reflect in these songs, again, on what Jesus has done, what he suffered for us. And where are we in that? How do we identify with him in that? How, do we, uh, how are we suffering? What is he calling us to suffer in the midst of that? And so worship team, why don't you come on up? And uh, we're going to do a couple of songs, and then I'm going to come up and I'll lead us in communion. And then we'll do a couple more songs, and I'll come up and I'll close our service. So, um, yeah, let's just uh, let's sit in this for a little bit as we worship the Lord together. One of the hardest passages, hardest teachings that Jesus ever gave, and it's around communion. John chapter 6, 47 to 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This, I think he's pointing at his body. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one might eat of it. Excuse me. <laughs> this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son who willingly came to give his life as a ransom for us. And Lord, as we come to the cross again and remember this road that he walked, and we remember the suffering that he endured, Lord, we must be reminded that this is the road that all his followers must walk. If we want part of him, if we want that salvation from him, if we want to receive, then we must eat of his flesh we must endure the suffering be willing to endure the sufferings he endured we must be willing to take up our cross and follow him so lord as we partake of this symbol of his broken body we do so with this in mind and with a heart and a desire of recommitment to take Whatever this world has to offer, take whatever it throws at us as we seek to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take it together.
Jesus goes on in verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, and I in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the poured out blood of Jesus that washes us clean of our sin. The Lord, it was a heavy price to pay. And again, Lord, if we want to participate in this kingdom that he offers, if we want to enjoy the reconciliation of our relationship with our Creator and our Father, then we must partake of the poured out blood of Jesus. Remembering that it is what cleanses us and sets us free. So Lord, as we take this grape juice, the symbol of Jesus' blood, we partake with this in mind and also with a renewed remembrance of the cost of our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take together. Lord, I can understand your love for me in the sense that you created me and because you created me, you love your creation. And I can imagine that that love you desire for relationship with me and I can get that and understand that. I can understand your pursuit of me and to have that longing fulfilled of connection between creator and created. But my imagination Imagination fails me. And I can't understand why. After my years of rejection, you suffer and die for me. beyond comprehension. But Lord, I thank you for your amazing grace, for your willing sacrifice. Lord, help me to sit in this this week, to not rush to resurrection yet deepen my understanding 
of the weight of my sin. Deepen my longing to follow Jesus into suffering. That you would be glorified. And that's all. Psalm 22, verses 14 to 18. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. (laughs) 